Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Swing and a looper in the left center field. This is going to get down for a base hit. Here comes Phillips. He will score the tying run. In the third goes a Rose Arena. It's an 8-8 game and the Rays have the winning run 90 feet away. Coming up, we'll recap the action from this past week. Take a look around Major League Baseball and sit down for in-depth interviews with the biggest names in the game. First pitch to him. Line back up the middle, but there is Franco to the left of the bag. He turns and throws him out, and the Rays have won it in Atlanta. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to our latest program. Today, we chat with Colin Poche about his great comeback effort. Xavier Scruggs joins us to discuss the week gone by. We'll be joined by pitching prospect Austin Vernon, chat with Ray's head of mental performance, Justin Sua, and introduce you to minor league hitting coach, Hez Randolph. Well, we continue on this week in Rays baseball, and our feature guest this week is having a fantastic year, and that's one Colin Poche. Colin, thanks very much for a few minutes. Of course, yeah. Anytime. Glad to be here. Tell me what it's meant to have the kind of start to this season that you've had when you consider what you've been through coming back from Tommy John a second time over the last couple seasons. Um, it's special. You know, I, it definitely this season has a special place in me, just just like you said, from what everything I've been through the last couple of years. Um just all the work that need to be put in just to just to give yourself a chance to be healthy enough to be on the field and then you know to, to go out there and have some success early on is really encouraging and you know my confidence level and I never doubted this in my ability I knew that if I got 100% healthy that I was capable of of doing what I'm doing now and more what was the hardest part of the comeback for you I, I think the mental aspect mental aspect and just just the time frame because it's especially with your second one it's 16 to 20 months you know no matter how good you feel early on the timeline timeline doesn't change um so you just kind of got to stay focused throughout that time which is really difficult it's you know it's one thing to stay locked in and focused for a year and a half when you're healthy playing but you know when that's taken away from you and all you have is you know some mundane rehab exercises it's it can be hard to just get through each individual day so who were the people and I say people because there couldn't have been one that were most helpful during the process, and why? If I if I listed everybody, we'd be here for an hour, you know. But uh, obviously, you know, my family, my parents, my wife Jessica, you know, have been huge, and just um, you know, the people at the field. Our rehab coordinator Paul Harker was just awesome, you know, day in and day out, putting the work in together for us. And uh, you know, the other guys who I was rehabbing with were were big. Um, you know, at the time it was Oliver Drake, Jalen Beeks, Yanni Chirinos. You know, I'm, I'm sure I'm missing more, but those were those were the guys who we went through the work with every day. You know, especially like me and Jalen and, and Chirinos were similar injuries, similar rehab timelines. So we hit a lot of milestones together and, and, you know, we really invested in each other's process and timeline that I think that helped us get through it a lot. Just each individual person kind of looking out for each other and, you know, having the ability to kind of take the focus off yourself a little bit and think about your teammates a little more. 
how, uh, and we see how both you and Jalen have done, how helpful can you now be to Yanni as he continues his comeback, along with a guy like Tyler Glasnow, who's dealing with this for the first time? Um, yeah, you know, any any questions those guys have, I'm always, you know, more than willing to, to help them answer. You know, having been through the process twice, they do come to me with questions occasionally. And, um, you know, we also have Drew Rasmussen and Pete Fairbanks who have gone through the Tommy John rehab twice. So there's no shortage of guys in there who can who can kind of help you through. But, yeah, I, you know, I, I think that experience is, is extremely valuable um, in that sense. And it's something you can't really... I guess, lecture other people on until you've gone through it. And so, you know, I think we do have some unique experience that we can help those guys if, if they need that. One of the first names you brought up was your wife, Jessica. You guys got married in the fall, so congratulations. How much did that help, too, to be able to take your mind off of your rehab at times that you're prepping for a wedding? Yeah, that definitely helped. Um, definitely helped. She's been awesome. She's kind of my rock, you know, that keeps me, keeps me level and, and humble, you know, no matter if I'm doing really well or if I'm, I'm in a bad place mentally, but, um, you know, just having her and, and, you know, we got a, we got a puppy, I believe the off season of 2020. So just kind of that's helped too, to, to be able to, you know, go home and, and have other responsibilities outside of rehabbing and stuff that, that take your mind off of it and just kind of keep you level mentally. Look, I know you spent a lot of time in Texas and in the South, but you moved here to the Tampa Bay area. Did that help too? Because you are outdoors. There is a lot of sunlight. Some of that can help with the positive mindset. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think that was really important was we wanted somewhere where we could be grounded and kind of set roots in and you know, not, not feel like we were just in a, a temporary spot while I was rehabbing. So, you know, we made the decision to move out here full time. We've been out here almost two years now and we really love it. Got a great neighborhood, great community, and, and, you know, we love the Tampa Bay area. That said, the last road trip, you went back to Texas. Did that mean much to you because it was your first appearance there since the injury happened? Yeah, it, it was really special. Um, you know, I, my parents and my brother would be were able to be there, which was the first time they see me in the big leagues since the injury. So um, that was really special. And obviously just going back home and getting to play against the team you grew up against is always, always really special. And this road trip is somewhat special, too, because it starts in Minnesota with the Twins. And obviously their pitching coach had a fair amount of impact on you. Tell our fans about Wes Johnson and how he helped you at the beginning. Yeah, Wes, Wes is a truly one of a kind. He's a great, great guy. He's a really big motivator, really big at getting your confidence up. Um, so I got to, I got to talk to him when Minnesota was in town here at the Trop, and just to see him and the smile on his face when whenever you know I get to go out and see him is is awesome. But he was the uh, the pitching coach at Dallas Baptist when I was rehabbing for my first Tommy John, and and uh, he taught me so much about about pitching and a lot of the advanced pitching stuff that a lot of teams use now, especially here with TrackMan and just kind of understanding who you are as a pitcher and what makes you successful. And, and, you know, at the time, that was 2015, you know, not not too many major league teams had bought into all the TrackMan stuff at that point. But for us as a, you know, mid-major college program to have all those resources and have someone with that knowledge, I think that just kind of catapulted my career once I did get healthy. Is that when you realized that you had a unique carry fastball, as is now described today? Yeah, so I, I, you know, I had been searching for a couple of years, messing with sinkers, throwing four-seam fastballs, just kind of, um, you know, for a while, just trying to figure out arm slots and 
pitches that didn't make my elbow hurt. And, you know, when I was at DBU in my rehab process, I, I threw my first bullpen with Wes there, and it was he just put the track man up to just kind of get some baseline info. And, you know, he's telling me, like, oh, your, your fastball has this great vertical movement. And, you know, at the time, carry and, and you know, rising fastballs didn't wasn't a thing that crossed our mind. So I was thinking, you know, I had a really good sinker. And it, it took a few bullpens for him to kind of, like, let me know that, hey, it's, it's not sinking, it's doing the opposite. And so he was um, kind of the first one to open my eyes to, to why it, it works the way it does. It's it really interesting to know for most players, sometimes they need the data to show them what they do well, even though they may feel they're doing something else well. Yeah, definitely. I think I think the data can be a very useful tool to, to point players in the right direction. You know, especially if you have something that works, maybe you don't know why, then that data can, can one explain why it works and, and give you tips on, you know, how to make it work even better, such as, you know, locating up in the zone basically living up in the zone but moving it inside outside and stuff like that to try to give the hitter different looks you mentioned how Wes helped you when you were in college and obviously he's now a successful pitching coach in the big leagues how different and similar are he and Kyle Snyder the Rays pitching coach when it comes to the fundamentals and and you know teaching teaching just the baseball skill set they're they're very similar they have you know they both have a wealth of knowledge through experience and you know they're never satisfied with with what they know now they're always constantly trying to learn more and you know learn more about each individual pitcher but um i would i would say their personalities are very different you know Kyle can be can be very laid back definitely a little more low key but he still like instills a lot of confidence in all the pitchers and and Wes is very very high energy he can almost be your hype man you know, I used to describe him as he's an aggressive motivator. Like he, he'll get in your face, but in a very positive way to, to kind of hype you up and, and make you feel like one of his, his favorite quotes is like, feel like you're 10 feet tall and bulletproof. And so they're very similar in how they, in, in the end goal, but um, the way they get to that end goal is, is, is a little different. How has Kyle helped you grow? Um, it's, it's hard to point out individual stuff, just, so, you know, having him there daily with you, it's it's little tweaks here and there, making you um, making sure you're staying, you know, in the right rhythm and stuff. And I think Kyle has a really, really unique skill of, of getting his message across in as few words as possible. I mean, you know, this game can be really hard and it can be really complicated. And he does a really good job of, of getting the message across in a simple way that that doesn't you know kind of over cloud your thoughts and allows you to have the freedom to go out there and just compete and trust your stuff when you got to go out there and watch for 20 and 21 how much do you think that also helped you because sometimes you can learn by watching yeah and you know i uh that was one of me and my wife's favorite things to do at night was watch the Rays games together and you know just it's hard to be away from the team but to to stay invested like that um meant a lot and watching that much baseball especially at this high of a level definitely helps and it definitely helped me kind of mentally stay locked in so that now when I am back it it doesn't feel like I've missed as much time mentally. Was there a moment so far this season where you're like now I feel totally back or was it once you got the first outing of the way you felt that way? Kind of in spring training just the first few outings you know seeing the velocity back seeing some of the reactions on the hitters it was it was a you know a welcoming kind of wake up call that hey like you know your stuff is here it's just a matter of staying mentally locked in and physically healthy now who are some of the guys you lean on to help you grow because it's a very 
tight bullpen, it seems, chemistry-wise? Um, really everybody. I think everyone in that bullpen brings a very unique personality. And, um, you know, I think we do a good job of keeping everyone level and, and keeping everyone loose and relaxed down there. But um, one thing about the race since I've been here is is the quality of people that they bring into the organization is always top-notch. So, you know, if there is turnover, we, we always believe that the next guy they're bringing in is going to be a really good person. And, and, you know, that's really important to our chemistry, which when you play 162 games and you're traveling and, you know, sometimes you spend more time at the field with these guys than you do with your family, I think that's crucial that, you know, the, the character and the type of people around, um, they make all the difference. You mentioned getting a dog. What are some of the other things that you do away from the field to allow you to break away? Because I do think that's really important to not live at 24-7. Yeah, we like to, you know, go on walks around the neighborhood, go to parks, um, the beach and stuff, just a lot of the normal Florida stuff that kind of takes your mind off of things. But uh, I think the dog has been been really big just just to kind of have – a responsibility away from the field that takes your mind off of things. Have you found like a favorite spot? Do you fish? Do you? Is there a favorite place to eat that you you love to hit when? Yeah, there's there's a couple restaurants. Um, we like Meat Market in Hyde Park in Tampa is really good. Um, there's a park down there. I think it's called Cypress Point. Um, it's got like a little mini beach without having to cross the bridge and and all the. It's right by the airports. So all the planes fly over so. You know, when we have time, we like to go out there with the dog and walk around and sit on the beach and stuff like that. Sounds like you're in a pretty good place physically and mentally. Um, it's great to see you pitching so well at the big league level. Here's to another uh, several months more of really good stuff, and uh, keep it up. Awesome. Thank you, Neil. That's Colin Pochet joining us on This Week in Rays Baseball. We'll continue in just a moment. You're listening to the Rays Baseball Network. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Well, we continue on this week in race baseball and time to take a look at the week on by and joining us from Valley Sports Sun, from MLB Network, from MLB Network Radio. You name it, he's there. I'm talking about Xavier Scruggs. X, thanks for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me, Neil. Excited. I look at this month of June for this race club as almost a survive in advance. Uh, the fact that they're missing Brandon Lau, they're missing Wander Franco, they're still missing a lot of pieces while they're getting, they just got Shane Boz back. Um, they're still missing a lot of pieces, and this is a pretty tough part of the schedule with the Twins and a couple of Yankee series um, and the, the series they just swept recently against St. Louis. Yeah, I think that, you know, what the Rays have been able to do, knowing that they've had some guys out, you know, and I even think of Manny Margot was out for a little bit um, over the past couple of weeks before coming back. They've held their ground, and to think that a, a team that's been able to do that, it just reminds you the depth that they have, but also reminds you of – you know, kind of the confidence that they have, that that next man up mentality. I know we talk about that a lot, but to see it play out like the way it has right now has been extremely important, especially when you look at a team like the Yankees, who seems to be a team that is just so tough to catch, right? So you can't really have falters within the course of the season to where, you know, your your slumps that that end up being 
two or three game losses in a row. They, they can't end up being, you know, big five game losses, six games, because you look at the team that's in first place. And I've been extremely encouraged with what the Rays have been able to do, knowing they've had some guys that have been out, especially from a pitching standpoint, right? You, you mentioned Boz, um, Luis Patino. Um, you look at Kittredge just went down, like to see guys continue to battle has been important for them. And they're doing it and staying within at least striking distance of a Yankee club that really, for the most part, is have its starting five pitchers intact. And I think that's the big reason why they have the, the lead that they have in the division. You agree? Def, definitely. And this is a team that, you know, they're, they're going to go through their ups and downs. Um, every team go through the, goes through their injuries. But when you talk about a team that's had health from a starting pitching standpoint and has been able to give you uh, length within that starting pitching standpoint, that's big for them. And, and you look at kind of what the offense has been able to do. You look at the Yankees defense has gotten that much better over the past year. Uh, all, all reasons to be a successful team. And I still look to, you know, the Rays and the Yankees continuing to battle it out later on here in the season, um, especially coming up uh, here pretty soon. So I, I'm looking forward to that and see how these teams continue to match up. Yeah, this coming week, the Rays will be in New York for the first time this year to take on the Yankees. Obviously, a big reason why the Rays have kind of hung in there is their pitching. And I think it really begins with Shane McClanahan. I, I think he has established himself as one of the best pitchers in this league. His performance against St. Louis was just terrific. Yeah, absolutely amazing. Um, you know, St. Louis is one of those teams that I always keep my eye on just because I played for them, came up with them. So to see the Rays, first of all, be able to sweep a, a good St. Louis team was important. But you mentioned it, St. McClanahan, he, he set the tone from the beginning of the season. And he's proven to be now one of the best starters because not just because of, you know, his arsenal, it's because of his ability now to use all of those pitches and be able to throw them all for strikes. This is a guy that when he first stepped upon the league, you start thinking, okay, that fastball changeup combination, that fastball slider combination. No, but now he's got all four and he can, he can sit somebody down with all four. He can start, start that bat with all four um, and gives you that length. Now I, I look at, specifically that last game against the Cardinals to see how quick it, the pace was, but then also to see how his ability to navigate a tough lineup that's been really swinging the bats extremely well that tells you how important he is and what he's done for this team. For me, it's also his mound presence and his poise, X. I, I look at a couple moments that he had even in that game as great examples. Pujols got a, an air quote double because of a pop-up that wasn't caught <laughs> to lead off an inning. And he says, you're not even going to advance. And then the only run he allowed was on his own throwing error. He was able to make the next pitch and then laugh about it afterwards and reset and retire his last seven batters. I think that's mm -hmm. all signs of maturity. Yeah, it, it really is. And I and I even look at some of the postgame comments, right? They asked him, you know, where he feels he, he is as far as the best pitchers in the game. And he said flat out, I don't care. I just want to win. And I think that allows you to understand this is a young player that understands the importance of being a part of a team and understanding how important he is for a team to get them to where they want to be. And he said it, I want to pitch in October and I want to help this team get to where we want to be. And I think that's the bigger picture, right? When you're a young player that understands that bigger picture, you can go about your business and continue to put up the numbers. You can lead the ma in majors with 98 strikeouts. You can be able to 
have your ERA below to 1.87 as we speak. So just thinking about what he's done um, from a mental standpoint, I think is probably the biggest uh, part of maturity that we've seen, but also that leadership is needed for a raised team like this. You've been on clubs that when they have a certain guy pitching on a certain day, there's probably a feeling in the clubhouse do you get that feeling that that is the case now with Shane, that he's graduated to that type of role? Absolutely. And there's really no better feeling because honestly, Neil, that takes off so much pressure. Um, when you have a guy that's throwing that well, that takes pressure off of the bullpen, takes pressure off of the offensive side of things. And when I say pressure, I say it allows guys to relax and just do what they're used to doing. They don't have to feel like, oh, I need to step up. I need to be the guy. No, we have a guy that's on the mound right now that's taking care of business. I just have to do my part. And I think that uh, allowance of taking that pressure off allows guys to perform even at a better level, at a higher level. and it also gives you options. Now you talk about rest within the bullpen, somebody that goes length like that, you have rest for your bullpen. You have guys that, okay, if there's a guy that needs a blow, I don't have to worry about him going early into the fifth or sixth inning. I, I know I have a guy that's going to go a little bit deeper into the game and that that's big, especially in the long court, long haul of 162. Definitely does. And it certainly set the race up fairly well for this twin series. And with the day off tomorrow, hopefully the Yankees series too, you know, you touched on the Yankees and how well they have performed to this point, but it really has become four teams that are competing now for playoff spots. In fact, as, as we go into this second weekend of June, you could argue that four teams from the AL East could end up in the postseason this year. Yeah, I, I think in, in me and you talked about this too, the, the Red Sox were too talented uh, to not get to a point where they started winning some ball games. Um, and, and it seemed like it happened as soon as Trevor Story started swinging the bat. Um, so this is a team that's come on extremely strong. You look at the Blue Jays now, they've become more offensive. This was a team that we looked at to score more runs early on in the season, and they hadn't done it. Um, had the opportunity to talk to Char Charlie Montoya, and he's like, hey, if there's anything that you should give time to, it should be the offense. And we've given them time. They've started to show that they can click. The Rays and the Yankees have been there the whole time. This Yankees team, I mean, it almost seems unbelievable at a winning percentage of 719, what they've been able to do, especially at home. I look at this team, the, the, the Yankees almost seem unbeatable at home. And this is a team that we looked at last year, like, man, they, there seems to be so many holes missing within a team that could be so good. Now it seems like they've filled all those holes in from a starting pitching standpoint, we mentioned the health. You look at what they've done from a bullpen standpoint, one of the best in Major League Baseball, and then the offense. When you have a guy in Aaron Judge that's leading the MVP race as we speak, um, it, it, it's hard to, to be a, a bad team when you have that guy on your team. No, and, and for the most part, they have not had Judge Stanton together healthy mm. for a year. And to this point, other than like a 10-day period, they've had those two guys together. It obviously changes the entire dynamic of the lineup. Speaking of dynamics, uh, it's been a dynamic week in the American league. You mentioned the Red Sox picking it up, but the angels dropped way back and they made a managerial change. Joe Madden, longtime Rays manager. What was your take on that? Was it too early to pull the plug? Yeah, I thought it was early. I thought it was an overreaction, but this is 2022. Like we overreact over everything. Right. And, and even at, at the major league professional level, 
Um, you, I think the biggest reason for the overreaction is because you saw how quickly the team took a downfall. This was a team that was playing great baseball, you know, 11 games over 500. And then all of a sudden they just took the biggest drop. And I think from Perry Manazian's standpoint as the GM is, Hey, I need to stop this before, before this gets even worse than it, than it can. Right. This is a team. I can still hold on to this team with having Mike Trout, Shohei Otani, uh, Ward doing his thing, the pitching that I brought in, I can still hold this as long as we turn this around ex- extremely quick. And I think he felt the need to make some type of move. I didn't think it needed to be Joe Madden, but you're looking at a situation to where uh, a lot of times the manager takes the blunt of everything. And that, that was the the necessary move or the move that he felt necessary. So it, it almost in 2022, nothing surprises me nowadays. And especially you already had the firing of a Joe Girardi with the Phillies earlier that might've been something he felt he needed to do to turn this, this Angels situation around. How much of it is going from five playoff teams to six, and now there's a pressure, hey, there's already six, you got to make it. And Trout has only been to the postseason once, Otani has not been there, and a feeling of you've got two of the best players in the game, how can you not make the playoffs? I, I think that's a lot of it, honestly, because, it, but, and also I look at how, how weak the, the AL West is, right? This is, a, this is a division that's not, a, not strong. You have to look to take advantage of that, right? And this was the Angels team that was only a couple games behind the Astros before really this, this huge downfall. So um, I, I look at that being a part of it. Um, yes, the six teams as well. And then I also look at, you know, you have superstars on this team. There's almost no excuse when you have superstars on a team, everybody's going to look at you like, wait a minute, you constructed this roster. You have a couple superstars on this team. You have MVP candidates in an Anthony Rendon, a Trout, an Otani. And then this is kind of what we've gotten with this team. So I I look at that and I say, that's kind of the example of how we look at teams today and say that's unacceptable. And I think that was kind of part of the case as well as we have to see these guys on the highest stage. When you have those caliber players on your team, there's no excuse for it. Well, the Rays make no excuses. They continue to grind their way through. And X, we appreciate you grinding your way through this segment with us and talking some uh, American League baseball. Thanks for having me, Neil. And that's Xavier Scruggs. Of course, he's from Valley Sports Sun. You can also catch him on MLB Network, MLB Network Radio, and ESPN Radio at times, too. Well, we continue on this week in Rays Baseball and time to take a look at things on the minor league side. And a guy who was minor league player of the month, not only for the organization, but also the Carolina League now joins us, and that's Austin Vernon. Austin, thanks very much for a few minutes. Hey, thanks for having me. Tell me what has allowed you to have the success that you're having so far this year. Honestly, I just think like coaching, sort of starting spring training, started working on mechanics and whatnot. Um, and then like from there, struggled a little bit, getting used to stuff, took a little bit of what they wanted with a little bit of what I was doing before, sort of threw it together when I sort of got to Charleston in that first week of April. And everything's just clicked since. And I mean, other than that, like, I mean, I, I have an offense that puts up runs every game. So it makes my life easy going out there and throwing with the lead every single time I throw just about top of that. I mean, my defense is spectacular. They're always making plays. My catchers, too. I mean, they, they call our games, and if they call a great, pretty pretty great game, honestly. Like, there's not much shaking going on. They learn uh, – I feel like they learn learn about us pitchers, like, pretty quickly. Um, and they sort of pick up on, like, what we throw when we like to throw stuff. So there's not – especially with this little pitch clock they have going on, there's not as much shaking. And it's harder, you know, to shake because, like, if you're out of the stretch and you're shaking, say there's a man on second, they got to throw down a bunch of signs. Next thing you know, you're at five seconds because you shook your head one time because you didn't want that pitch. So 
it's just key for them to like learn that. I feel like they've done a really good job of that so far. So yeah, between like them and defense, it's been pretty great. For fans who don't know, you're a six eight pitcher. Were you always a baseball player? Or were there other sports that you had to decide between when you eventually went to baseball? Yes, I've already I've played baseball my whole life. My brother, like like we talked about before the show started, but he got drafted. He's always played baseball, and like so, I've always been there at every single game since he's five years older than me. So he's playing t-ball. I was just like a newborn, and since then, like I've grown up just being around him twenty-four-seven, going to all his like little baseball games throughout the years. Um, and then like I used to play basketball. My mom uh, actually played basketball at Liberty University, so she got us both in the basketball when we were like decently young too. Obviously, I'm work is work out as much for me, but. Yeah, here we are now. Was there ever a choice between the two, or was always baseball was number one? Nah, baseball was always number one. Basketball is more so like a, a for fun thing. Like I, I enjoy playing it, but baseball has like always been my passion and my love, you know. And is there a pitcher that you wanted to be like growing up? And did you always want to pitch? See, I want to say it was a pitcher. I'd say it was I always wanted to be like Derek Jeter. I don't know. He was, he was my favorite player growing up. So like, I always like watched him and how he played the game, and like everybody respected him. Like, he was a great guy great person, like on and off the field. So I always like looked up sort of like to him and I always wanted to be a shortstop, but obviously I was a little bigger back then. So I didn't have the mobility to move left and right quick enough. You also don't have Derek Jeter's hair. Uh, how, how long, how long is it? And um, give us a, a feel for how hard that is to maintain in the Carolinas this time of year. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh. How long is it? I mean, this is probably honestly close to the longest it's ever been right now. I actually was trying to go get a haircut on our off day. I just just didn't make it. I was like trying to find places. I was like, I don't know where I'm going to go. But I was like, people can't really botch a trim. So I was like, I honestly could just like go to sports clips and like I'd be fine. But I was like, I don't know if I really want to go there. So I ended up not getting one. But it's probably like, you know, I don't know. It's pretty long. If it's because my hair is pretty curly. So if it was like straight, it'd probably be like halfway down my back. Maintaining it, uh, it's a little tough because humidity makes it get all puffy. Then I then I like the lion, so like I throw some like leave-in conditioner in there, and that that sort of helps me out and does the trick. Best fan comments you've heard about the hair? Oh, best fan comment. Oh, I don't know about that one. Um, I I've been compared to Noah Syndergaard a ton, but like just because he's a hair. A funny one is Weird Al. Weird Al Yankovic. I've gotten called that quite a bit, honestly. Well, you obviously have a good sense of humor if you can just let it roll and go with it. How, how has your stuff improved since you finished playing at NCCU and, and came to the Rays? And what have the Rays done in, like, kind of shape pitches and help with that? Oh, I think a ton has changed. Um, I'll start with the slider. That was, like, sort of my go-to pitch in, in college a little bit. I used to think it was my curveball, and then I sort of, like, throughout my – Senior year last year in college, I sort of figured out like, hey, that's not my go-to pitch because I wasn't like consistent enough with it. You know, I wasn't I couldn't throw it for a strike all the time. It was like either good or really bad that day. Um, but my slider was always there and it always happened to be there. And then whenever I got with the Rays, like the first thirty days, they don't touch us. They just let us go do our thing. They like take you know information down on us and like look at how we pitch, whatever. And then they just basically take notes and watch our like data and whatnot. So, like, my slider, like, after those 30 days, that was the first thing we started working on to make it better, make it – we, we try to make it a little shorter, harder um, than it was so that way it could play off the curveball a little better just because the curveball is, like, bigger. So, that was one of the big things that they, like, changed coming in um, was, was the slider, which I completely – like, I came in there 
and telling them from the jump, I was like, hey, like, I know my slider needs work. It worked in college. But I was like, how I'm throwing it's not going to work here, especially when I throw a curveball too. I was like, I need like a bigger separation between the two. Um, they really like helped me with that. Um, and then like change up, they helped me with that too. Messed around with different grips. Same thing with the slider, messed around with different grips. Finally found a grip that worked that we liked and sort of took it and just ran with it. From there, it's been super helpful. And they're always like got our backs, coaching us up on stuff. I know I like had struggled with my curveball earlier this year, being able to flip it over for a strike and whatnot. And RC's like in the bullpen. When I'm throwing bullpens, he's like, hey, like, get off front with it a little more like just picture like throwing it into the ground because i'd miss i'd like uh not get out front basically and it would back up on me so he's like hey like throw it through the catcher and um it's like now whenever i'm out there throwing bullpens or in the game i'm like all right throw it like don't baby it throw it and that's been pretty helpful too has your velo jumped at all because obviously you got a lot of leverage at six eight i want to say jump i say more consistent how about that probably sounds better because, like, in, in college, I'd be, like, say, 94, 97 one game, and then the next game I could be one, 91, 94, you know? So, like, wasn't very consistent. We're here. It's been consistent. I've been anywhere from, like, 94 to 95 average velo throughout the whole game, like, throughout my whole outing. So my average has been, like, right around that number where, like, in college it would, like, di- differentiate. I mean, it wouldn't always be, like, consistent. But so far here it's been consistent. I think that goes into our pitching coaches and – Everybody that's like worked with me, like helping me work on my mechanics and staying back a little longer, using my legs uh, more. And uh, I think that's been like one of the big things that's helped me the most is like whenever I went to spring training, we completely changed my mechanics. I was, if I'm, I'm going to be honest, I was god awful in spring training. I was really bad. I like I had never pitched in my life. I looked bad. It looked bad. But we were working on something sort of to stay back a little longer in my hips and sort of drive through. And then so like that's what I was telling you, like I took a little bit of what I was doing a little bit of what they wanted meshing together and we found like a happy medium and since then it's just taken off and I think that's helped me been able to like stay consistent with my velo just from like staying on my backside and using my legs more and is that fastball is it like a carry fastball or it's six eight or are you driving it downhill and getting a lot of sink not a lot of carry yeah it's a carry fastball for sure and you know from your standpoint you, you obviously I would assume were somewhat under recruited um, you ended up in your own backyard, so to speak, at NCCU. Um, is there a chip that you carry on your shoulder a little bit? Or is it, hey, baseball's what I've always wanted to do. My brother did it. I'm doing it. And, and this is my dream. It's more so like, hey, this is my dream. Like, I've always done it. I've always loved the game. Also, I mean, I don't really carry a chip on my shoulder because, like, everything happens for a reason. You get put in every situation for a reason. And I just take advantage of the opportunities that I get. So I don't really do it with a chip on my shoulder just for the fact of, like, it's always been my dream. I always wanted to make it. And, like, even though I might have been, like, underlooked or whatever, I don't really, like, take that into, like, effect of, like, playing with a chip on my shoulder just because I'm, like, I deserve to be here for a reason. Like, they took a, a chance on me. So I'm out here and just, like, giving it my all. And on that same end, is there a sense of pride, too, carrying kind of the NCCU banner? I know the program has been dropped. You and your brother are two of three guys who have ever been drafted by the school or out of that school. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean. It sucks that happened. I felt terrible for, like, all the guys that were just freshmen getting there, and now they have to, like, go through a whole other recruiting process like they're in high school again. And then on top of that, all the other guys that were, like, juniors that are going to be seniors, and now it's like, okay, now i got to go find a school for one more year, you know? So I, I think from, from that instance, yes, I do take it with a little bit of pride and, like, like sort of carry letting that, like, eagle name live on. I know we have a couple more guys in different organizations uh, that are doing the same. So, yeah. 
Well, hopefully uh, you continue to shine as you've done so far this year. We appreciate some time on this week in Rays baseball. Keep up uh, the good work in Charleston. Thank you. I appreciate that. And that's Austin Vernon. He is 7-0 with Charleston, a 151 ERA, and 71 strikeouts in just 41 and two-thirds innings. Coming up, it will be Justin Sua on mental performance, and we'll introduce you to minor league hitting coach Hez Randolph and his unique journey. You're listening to This Week in Rays Baseball on the Rays Baseball Network. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. We're now joined by Head of Mental Performance, Justin Sua. And, and Justin, you know, I've talked to a lot of guys who you've worked with during the course of the year, one of them being Colin Pochet, and he talked about visualization. What are the types of things you work on with Colin, and why do you think it's helped him take steps forward? Because he's been very good this year. One thing about Colin is I noticed that even from his amateur time as an amateur baseball player in college, he took pride in the mental side. He took pride in getting mental reps and and leaving no stone unturned both physically and and on the mound and off the mound and even his mind. And so one of the things that he loved to do that he already was doing before his work with me was visualization. And we started with a conversation and, and yeah, I was able to, with his help, really him being the driver and identifying what kind of visualization he wants, what kind of keywords he wants, and to construct something for him. That uh, and, and it's nice to see that... Uh, that is something he already believed in, already did, is to provide any kind of help I can for him. Relievers are almost like everyday players because they have to be prepared to pitch every single day. So is it a, a daily ritual? Is it before you get into a game? What are the types of things that help guys like him prepare? Yeah, what's really interesting about Colin in particular, and everyone, everybody is different. Everyone uses the tool differently, whether it be before a game, after a game. It could be in person. It could be audio. Uh, and so... Colin uses it as he does. He came up to me uh, a couple of years ago, actually, and said, hey, I want to focus on my visualization. And we ended up finding a cadence that works best for him. And that might be completely different for somebody else. But I believe, I don't know how often he uses it, to be quite honest. However, he does mention to me that it is something that he does do to get himself uh, mentally prepared to pitch. And certainly mental preparation is extremely important, especially when you're going through struggles. And the Rays have had a lot of young players go through especially in the offensive end struggles this year what are the types of things you do to get a player focused on process when they're also not seeing results and they're sometimes chasing results yeah it's very difficult particularly I mean it doesn't matter whether you've been playing in in the in the big leagues for 10 years or if you're uh, two three four months in a failure is difficult and you always hear the, the the axiom hey learn from failure easier said than done a lot of times especially when you're young in your career but I think we have some great leadership and coaching especially with Kevin Cash leading the charge and he has some great they have some great hitting coaches and Chad Matola and Dan DeMent and Brady North who are constantly pushing messages of positivity and focus on the process and I just basically do it what I can to help them gain some perspective catch themselves winning try to stay positive catching the small things they're doing right because there's so much noise and there's so much room for negativity and if there's one thing I can do or a question I can ask or a video I can send that can help them 
be even a little more positive that hopefully hopefully that helps but uh but yeah there's they're surrounded by teammates and a staff that really does a great job of helping these young guys learn from failure how much can one moment swing momentum like taylor walls had the moment the other night how much can that change perception and maybe allow someone to relax a little bit and not chase numbers a lot of times you'll hear that hey one you're one swing away from catching fire and that's a common phrase in sports or or in, in baseball and You'd love to say that, yeah, one swing, one home run, one big event could be the turning point to give yourself some confidence that, hey, I can do this. I belong here. I can repeat this. And, uh, yeah, it, time will tell. But I think one moment can can definitely be a turning point. And is the message easier or harder to connect with, with a young player who's dealing with really their first strong long stretch of struggles at the at the major league level versus maybe a veteran who has found their way out of it and are how different are the messages you try and send when that happens yeah that's that's a really good point there are a lot of different distinctions and variables and context to take into consideration from personality to experience to how they got to the big leagues and like you said uh sometimes when the first time you fail at a fail and you do it at the big leagues it makes it very difficult the the noise of the emotions the the struggles that sometimes it's embarrassing and sometimes you question your ability but i think there are some difficulties to it but i will say we have such an amazing clubhouse of players who really care about each other and when someone is scuffling or struggling another player a veteran will come and put his arm around him and say hey you know what let's we're in this together let's do it so i tip the cap to the to the players and the, the, the teammates here who have each other's backs and on that end how much easier is messaging when you have a culture that embraces that oh, i think it's great it really takes pressure off people like myself and the coaching staff i think a lot of times it's you know that i just my job i just want to reinforce what coaches are saying reinforce what player what their teammates are saying and add and reinforcement to everything that's being said so you don't have to create a, a, a new message you just continue to reinforce what's been said by people who care so much about these players keep up the good work thanks for a few minutes grateful to be here thanks so much neil and that's justin sua the race head of mental performance now time for another feature from race baseball operations this time on minor league hitting coach Hez randolph who works in the florida complex league we start with how Hez ended up with the race. Just took a job at Hutchinson Community College, uh, and I was offered an opportunity to come to a uh, a, a coach, professional scouts and coaches convention. Me being, you know, me young and wet behind the ears, didn't really know what I was getting myself into. I show up, and it's like all of these professional scouts and professional coaches, and a lot of like big wigs within a lot of organizations, and. I'm just there, you know, mingling and trying to network and uh, meet some really good people within the race. Uh, I ended up meeting Bobby Heck there and Simon Rosenbaum, and uh, kind of we just kind of sparked the conversation. And I think from there, they, they kind of took a liking to me and kind of some of the things that I was talking about and my passions for the game. And they passed my information on and kind of led to an interview. When were you bitten by the baseball bug originally? And give us your background as to how you got into the sport as a player before you moved into the coaching ranks. So I've been into baseball since before I can remember. Uh, I hear stories from my dad all the time about me being in their room playing baseball. I don't remember these stories, but apparently it's just been a bug that's been crawling in me since uh, I was a little child, a young child. And so obviously my favorite part about the game is hitting. Uh, it's something I've always been passionate about. And I've always been pretty good at it. And that's kind of been my thing is, is trying to get myself in a position to where I can kind of educate and continue to touch and affect as many lives as possible uh, through the game of baseball. 
And that's that's just my passion. That's why I love it. So where did you play? How high did you play? And then when did you make a transition to get into coaching? So I played collegiately at the University of New Orleans, a place that's near and dear to my heart. I love that university with, with every being in my body. Uh, I still watch every game I can possibly watch. So that's just that's just my relationship with that university. And I feel like it, it took a chance on me and because I was a very raw athlete coming out of high school. A lot of people thought I was actually going to play football in college, but I never really loved the sport of football. I just like playing it because I was pretty good at it and it's fun to score touchdowns. <laughs> but outside of that, I just didn't really have that connection with the sport of football. And I, I wanted to play baseball. Um, and most of my offers were dual sport and they wanted me to play football first. And that wasn't really something that I was really into. Um, so I played baseball in college and University of New Orleans was the only baseball only offer I ever had. So I ended up going there. I uh, spent four years there. I started as a freshman. Uh, I was actually a freshman All-American and I had a pretty successful career. So then from there, you know, I kind of, you know, everyone wants to play professional baseball to play collegiate. Most of those guys do. Uh, so I kind of started trying to figure out my journey and figure out if, I, if professional baseball was a possibility. Uh, and I talked to a few scouts, just nothing ever worked out. And so that kind of led me to try and figure out the, the reason why, like the why behind the what. Like the what is I never got drafted. <clears throat> so then it left me trying to figure out the why. Like where was it that I went wrong? What did I need to develop more in? Uh, I didn't really have those answers. So I kind of wanted to get into coaching to kind of discover uh, more of like, what is actually needed, what is actually required, and like what are, what are they actually looking at uh, to kind of get a better understanding of like where I went wrong so I can help more kids to get to the level that I never had an opportunity to get to. And now that I'm at the professional ranks, it's just trying to find a way to develop these guys the best way I possibly can and make as many big leaguers as possible um, because players are king in this industry, and, and I love that because that's something that truly gives me joy is making sure guys continue to develop and get better and better and reach high, heights that even they didn't believe that they could reach. Where are you originally from? Because to go from New Orleans to get a job in Kansas and then down to Florida, that's a lot of movement. So home for me is Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I grew up there. I was raised there. I was born there. And then from there, obviously, I went on to University of New Orleans. Uh, so I've actually moved around a lot for a guy who's only 26 years old. My first job was the year after I was done playing. I got into collegiate coaching at Western New England University. It was a small Division three college in Western Mass. And I was there for two and a half years. Uh, then from there, an opportunity opened up. Actually, I received my master's there um, in sport and organizational leadership. And then from there, opportunity opened up back in my alma mater, which is the University of New Orleans. So I ended up coaching there for two and a half years. Uh, but in between, I went back and forth because I coached for a summer league team in New England. It's called the uh, Valley Blue Sox. They were located in Holyoke, Massachusetts in the NDCBL. So in the summers, I would travel there. And I would come back for the season at the University of New Orleans because I was a volunteer assistant there. So I spent there, I spent two and a half years there. And then at the end of that, I, it was kind of, you know, time for me to move on and try to figure out how I continue to develop myself in my career. Uh, and this opportunity opened up in Hutchinson, Kansas at Hutchinson Community College, uh, which is a paid spot. Obviously, you get to a spot where you got to start making some money. You can only be a volunteer for so long, uh, no matter how much you love the place that where you're at. And I ended up going there. And like I said, literally within two weeks of me being there, an opportunity opened up for me to go to this convention. And it was in uh, what was it? it was Kansas City, Missouri. And if I never took the job to go to Hutchinson, Kansas, I don't think I would have been able to take, go to the convention. And if I never went to the convention, I would, never would have met the people and I probably wouldn't be where I'm at right now. So I thought it was like a really cool story and how you end up going different places and making different moves based off of the situation that you're in. And, and you just get pulled and pushed in certain directions. You have no idea why, why you're in the middle of it. But, you know, it, it, it begins to clear up. So what have you enjoyed so far as you've gotten acclimated to the race way of doing things? The people. The people here are second to none. I don't think I've, I've met a bad person here. Um, everyone is extremely happy. It's it's all there's no ego. 
And in the game of baseball, it's very difficult to find. Everyone wants to put their stamp on something. Everyone wants to be like, this is why this person is the way that they are. And, you know, like, at the end of the day, these players are extremely talented. You, the player can't all of a sudden just become an all-star because you gave him one tidbit. Well, the kid is already extremely talented. Maybe you helped unlock some things, but it's not you that deserves the credit. It's the player because he's actually out there performing. Um, and there's no ego here. It's all about the player, and, and we understand that, and we preach that, and we actually firmly believe that. And I think that's the most important thing, and that's the biggest breath of fresh air uh, is knowing that there, are, there aren't any egos here and everyone's extremely happy and everyone's extremely loving and very accepting and receptive. We're very thought-provoking. We love questioning the status quo and obviously not making things in muddy in the water for no reason, but we want to make sure there's a reason behind everything that is that we're doing. And I think that's really cool. Instead of just doing things because it's the way it's always been done. We always try and push the envelope and figure out better, newer and better ways to continue to advance our organization and advance players and expect the process process of them developing. And how is that helping you grow and evolve as a coach? It's definitely helping me grow and evolve as a coach um, because I'm getting challenged in ways I've never been challenged before, uh, whether it be mentally uh, and obviously how I approach the game. And then obviously in relationships in terms of like how you interact with players, um, that's kind of like been the biggest and most unique uh, change is the interaction between player coach um, because they're all professionals, you know, and you can't force anyone to do anything because they're professionals. But just trying to connect with those guys and building relationships and building that trust, um, because at the end of the day, we are the way that we are for a reason. So there's a reason why they are less receptive or more receptive to certain things. So you have to figure out a way to connect with them uh, and, and get them to see things in a way that, you know, that, that will be more beneficial to them. Is anyone in your in your family a teacher? Because obviously, as a coach, you're doing a lot of teaching. Yeah. So I think there are a lot of similarities in coaching and teaching. I think if you're a coach, you have to be able to teach. And obviously as a teacher, like that's just what you do, you teach. But yeah, so my my stepmother is actually a teacher. Uh, she teaches middle school English. Um, she's a wonderful lady. She's really awesome. And we, we have a lot of conversation about, you know, how to connect with the people that we're, we're trying to impact. And, and obviously just how to build those relationships and how to cultivate those relationships so you can really have a, a real long-lasting impact on the on those relationships that you're building uh, and it's not just like fleeting moments right like you want to have a lasting impact and that's why we do it it's because you truly care about the kids and i think that's a, that's been a really cool person that i've had in my corner uh, to be able to bounce ideas off of and kind of you know see what's new and kind of figure out the best way to kind of connect with people Thanks to Hez Randolph and all of our guests on the program today, including Rays relief pitcher Colin Pochet, Xavier Scruggs of MLB Network and Valley Sports Sun, prospect Austin Vernon, and also head of mental performance in Justin Sua. If you ever have something you want to hear on the show, all you have to do is tweet me at Neil Solons. Hey, reminder, Sunday, June 26th, all fans 14 and under receive a Raymond reversible headband presented by Suncoast Credit Union while supplies last. Purchase your tickets today at racebasewall.com slash tickets. Next week on the program, Harold Ramirez and much more. For producer Jason Berenger and engineer Wayne Sully here in Minneapolis, I'm Neil Solon. Stay tuned. The pregame show is next. It's the Rays and the Twins on this Sunday. This is the Rays Baseball Network. Thank you for listening to This Week in Rays Baseball. Breaking ball lifted to the air, way up there, in the right field and deep. Judge is going back towards the corner at the wall. Gone! And the Rays jump in from quarter one. If you missed any of the show, catch it on archive at RaysBaseball.com slash radio. With first and second, the one-two pitch. Swing and a miss! He 
Keep it right here. The Rays pregame show is next.